listening to Frankly Kev. This is the Everyday Hero series, where I speak with people who have faced one or even more of many life's challenges. We talk about what happened, how they got through it, and what they did to not only survive, but thrive. Warning. Today's episode includes content that is sexual and traumatic in nature, and may be upsetting to some listeners, so please be advised. On today's episode, my guest shares about a very sensitive and serious subject. His experience years ago as a teenager of being groomed, coerced, manipulated, and sexually assaulted over a period of time by a teacher at his school. Thankfully, he's been able to work through it and is here today to share about it. Please welcome my very special guest, Nathan Tylutki. Nathan, thank you so much for being on Frankly Kev. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. I really appreciate it. This is an event that must have taken a physical, emotional, psychological, and, and probably spiritual toll on you. Let's go back right before the event started. I mean, who were you? Where were you? What were you doing? I was in the seventh grade. I was living in rural Minnesota. I was trying to find my place in the extracurricular activities of my school. Uh, I played, you know, I was on the football team. I had an injury that wasn't quite an injury, so that I didn't have to play. I was on the basketball team. I was a uh, golf team. And then here I was like, I don't want to do any of those things. And I auditioned for a musical. And that is when I met the person that we're about to talk about and, and when all of this started to unravel. But yeah, I was just a, a kid who was academically into their work. I was, you know, mm -hmm. a smart kid and I was um, not popular, but I had friends and yeah. I was always kind of on the outskirts of friend groups. Mm -hmm. uh, I floated mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not like I, I didn't have friends or people to hang out with, but I was always the kid who got along with, you know, the, the goth kids and, and the popular kids and the sport, you know, so I, I floated. So yeah, social butterfly who just fit in with, with everybody, but didn't necessarily have that one tight, close-knit group. So this started right after grade seven, grade eight, or during grade seven? It started more... More grade eight is it, it's yeah. So I okay. wanted to be right before. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. And then this was this your first foray into acting and theater. Yeah, for the most part. Um, I mean, I, I was the ringleader in a lip sync circus when I was in kindergarten. But uh, other than that, yeah, I, I did like, you know, classroom plays growing up in elementary school. But this was my first audition of any kind. And then yeah. the person that you're going to talk about, uh, this was a um, theater mm -hmm. director that you had. Yeah, musical director. Um, so he yeah. was the 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 music uh, portion of the audition and I was not a singer so I was terrified but I knew I knew of this person and I knew how gregarious he was and I knew that he was well liked because he was the fun teacher you know he, he was always the one who was making jokes and right, I, right, that's right. all I knew about him and then uh, so right from the beginning uh, it was just auditioning for him for this musical Yes, and because I'm not a singer, I, I didn't get much praise and I didn't get much attention. Um, and I really yeah. wanted to win his favor because I wanted to be in the play. Of course. That I mean, so 
there was so there was the musical director and then there was the regular director and the regular director liked me and she she encouraged me to keep going and mm. Mm. and the musical director was like eh, whatever <laughs> but i did get cast congratulations thank you <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, obviously, then in rehearsals, you kept coming across the musical director. You had to, and you had to work yeah. together on, on this production. Yes. And so because even though I'm not a singer, mm. they, for some reason, gave me a lot of solos, which <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, don't know why, but I think it was because we had like five guys in the show or something. So yeah. and it was a musical review. So I had to jump in and play a lot of the captain von traps and uh you know <laughs> so, um, it was definitely uh I, I was definitely working with him uh a lot and i wasn't getting better <laughs> but i was i was trying now were you trying to impress him and or gain attention or val validation i wa i wanted so desperately to be a singer and i wanted so desperately to be in his good graces. I, I, I wanted to um, be a, a member of his choir and, I, you know, like, because he was that guy and he was just fun and he, he used to be a professional opera singer. And so there was just a lot about him that I found very cool. That you looked up to. Yeah. yeah. So you were obviously very open, very trusting, very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And when did or how did this start to take take a turn? What was like the first incident? Yeah, so and so it didn't. The the turn didn't take place in the eighth grade. So I, he was the musical director all through my high school years. Got it. He also um, was. I was on something called Knowledge Bowl, uh, the Knowledge Bowl team, which was like Quiz Bowl, hmm. and um, so he was the coach of that. And I remember specifically being at. Um, a meet at some school nearby and on the drive home we were in a school van he was driving i was in the passenger seat and then all the rest of the team was in the back and i remember him turning to me and saying i think this was my ninth grade year he said i see the way you look at me and i i didn't know what he was talking about and and uh, I said, you know, I, what? And he just said it again. He said, I see the way you look at me. You look at me differently than the other kids. And I was like, oh, what did I do? Um, and right. then he kind of gave me this knowing look. Do you think, were you actually in your memory, were, uh, were you looking at him or was he fishing for something? I think he was fishing for something. I think if I was looking at him differently than somebody else, I was intrigued by the fact that he was a performer, intrigued mm. by the fact that he was mm. like, uh, I mean, I, I looked up to him in a way. I wanted to be a professional singer, dancer, actor. And um, yeah. so I think in that way, sh maybe, but I also think he was yeah. trying to get me to think differently about what was happening between us. Because yeah. was, in my opinion, there was nothing other than I wanted to be his favorite. So on, on your part, there was, it was all artistic and creative. There was nothing romantic or sexual. No, I wasn't even physically attracted to him. You know, um, yeah. I knew okay. that. 
did I know in my core that I was a little queer kid who didn't know how to express mm. his like for other boys or men? Right. Yes. Um, I didn't know those words at the time. I didn't. Of course. Had feelings and instincts and. Yeah. And, um, but he wasn't the person that I would go after. Right. If it right. Were him. But looking back on it, do you think that this is maybe something that he noticed in you and was exploiting? Totally. totally. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's, it's like you don't know who's gay and who's not or who's bi and who's not just by looking at them. But there, there is mm. a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for me, I think I had a certain quality, you know, like um, overachiever, uh, always, always trying to make everything right in the room, you know. Mm-hmm. People to, to, to like you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's why I got along with everyone and why mm-hmm. I floated between mm-hmm. groups because, mm-hmm. and, and I also wasn't in any groups because I didn't want them to truly know me. Right. I totally understand that. So then take us to the next event on this path. Yeah. Um, so in my you know memory is a funny thing, like it changes every day, but, uh, in my in my memory, like then it was like maybe my sophomore year. Um, he he said something like, "Come to my office tomorrow before school, seven thirty. And and I can't, I mean I honestly don't remember what year of school it was, but it was grade ten or grade eleven. I can't remember what. And you know it was enough time that we had established a relationship in school, like we knew. We talked familiarly, familiarly. So this is where it starts. It sounds like it starts to take a little turn from being in, in a production, a, a musical, theatrical production where he's a musical director to him driving a bunch of students to rehearsal to now it's meeting privately in his office. Yes. Okay. And uh, it was like the spring. I was on the tennis team. Mm. And I remember because I was wearing a pair of red shorts and he said, wear those red shorts tomorrow. And I was like, but these are my practice shorts. And, and he's like, just, just do it. And, and I was like, okay. So I did. And did you think that was a strange request, but you wanted to comply because he yeah. was someone yeah, he was earned. A, yeah. an authority figure. And you're right. Exactly. And I, uh, mm-hmm. I was like, that's, weird okay yeah. i will wear the shorts and i'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 30 i thought he wanted to talk to me about you know the, the show next year scholarships I, I have no idea right 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 and uh, and there was also part of me i think that did understand that something was off and yet i was going to comply sure there's we have even at that young age we have this intuition deep down yeah yeah and so i wore the shorts I showed up the next morning. He was at his desk, and I remember there was a chair sitting across from his desk. Like, so he went. And he was sitting behind his desk, and he said, "Have a seat." So I sat down in the chair, and then um, I, I had a hole in my shorts in the crotch, and I remember like holding my legs together because I was like, "I don't. I I know that there's a hole in these shorts. These are my like grubby shorts." And he's like, "Why are you sitting like that?" Or something. And I I. I remember being like, well, it's, I have a hole in my shorts. I don't, and he's like, it's okay. You can, you know, let your legs open. So it started with that. And he's like, oh, you're wearing underwear. And I was like, yeah, I am. And, um, and then he's, I, I, like, I don't know. I don't remember if it all happened in that first meeting, but it 
this was like a series of events that uh, he, you know, eventually asked me to like pull my underwear aside and show him my genitalia. And then he would ask me to come stand by his desk and he would uh, say like, pull down, pull, pull out your penis or. Did this frighten you or what were you going through? All sorts of emotions and feelings. It was, you know, there was, there was more, <laughs> there was more conversation before that too. And I think mm. there, there was like that, that cat and mouse thing beforehand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, the, it was more about the way you look at me. I know who you mm. are. I know what you want. More fishing. Yeah, exactly. And, and and then came like the physical uh, dares basically to expose myself to him. And he would have me stand by his desk, I remember, and, and he wouldn't touch me. But he'd make me get close. And he'd make me pull on my pants and then he'd make me, you know, masturbate a little bit. And- right. And you complied because you didn't want to upset him or you didn't want him to uh, tell on you about maybe what your true sexuality was or. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this was, you know, late 90s yeah. and I was not out and he was a teacher and he knew something about me and he was somebody I might ask for a reference letter. He was somebody that I, I might want to keep in my good graces. Right, right, and right. Um, he also, you know, without saying the word gay or queer or anything, he always said, I just know who you are. I imagine as a, uh, as a young boy who's closeted, that is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in, uh, I mean, I'm sure in any, situation as a young boy that or as a young person it's terrifying but in rural minnesota it felt mm. even more heightened mm-hmm. um because it was in, in conservative yeah and i didn't have a comparison at the time but looking back i'm like holy shit that was that would have been really scary had anyone known and you you didn't know at that point in time where you developed and the awareness to go tell somebody about any of this right yeah i didn't mm. I didn't want him to out me and I didn't want him yeah. to, um, I don't know, share my secret. And so he had my secret. And so mm-hmm. I had to play his game. I don't remember if he ever threatened like that. I don't remember if he ever said, like, if mm-hmm. you don't do what I'm asking you to, I will reveal everything about you. I don't know if he did that. But we could make that jump on our own. Totally. Yeah. And the the interactions became more frequent. They became more daring. Were they always at school or were they ever at his private home or anywhere else? They weren't at his private home until after I graduated school. Um, like that, the immediately after graduation, um, they were always at school, usually in his office, like adjoining the choir room or uh, in the theater mm-hmm. or in costume storage. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to go into detail, but did it move on from him uh, asking or telling you uh, what to do and uh, non-sexual or, or no touch to their actually being uh, touch or uh, something sexual? So he was <laughs> smart like that. Uh, he, I asked, I, he grabbed, I think, mm. my penis one time. But he was always telling, he always wanted to just mm. watch. 
I, I remember like this one specific time we were in costume storage and I, I he said he was asking me to perform for him. Then he, uh, mm-hmm. I said at one point, like, well, why don't you ever join me? Like, I was kind of like, why are, why am I doing this alone? And he's like, I like to watch. And I said, well, can't you mm-hmm. touch it? Like, I, I, I was even like, this is, I, I feel weird. And I feel, I think like this is going somewhere. Like it was that thing of like, I began to trust him in, in all of these events. And it was so confusing because this didn't feel right. And I thought that this is what it was supposed to, like, this is what gay relationships look like. So you started to believe that this was being, being young and what, this was maybe your, your first relationship Absolutely. period with men or, or woman and started to think, oh, well, maybe this is how yeah. it works. Yeah. And um, so he did, you know, grab my penis one time. And then when I graduated school, I, he invited me over to his house and, and he, then I did turn physically sexual. And I, I did, like, I honestly don't remember. I remember walking down the hallway of his house and seeing all of these senior pictures of boys along the walls to the living room. And, uh, and then he was on the couch and then I sat on the couch and then he got down on the floor and did what he did. So now fast forward a little, like how or when or who ended it? Where did it go? Yeah. Um, so I went to college. Um, mm-hmm. And so that freshman year of college, I thought uh, we would stay in touch. I thought like this was a relationship of some sort. I thought I trusted mm-hmm. that he, mm-hmm. he still had my secret. I still wasn't out. He was in my hometown where my family was. I had to like be careful. So I wanted to check in and I was always kind of like wondering if he was talking about me while I wasn't there. Because you were hiding not only your sexuality, but now this relationship from right. everyone. Right. And um, so uh, I, I would send him, I sent him a few emails and like email was still pretty new then, you know? And, uh, and I was like, oh, maybe he's just not checking his email. So I, mm-hmm. I kept emailing him. He never responded and (laughs) so he was a larger man um he was obese and i remember he got gastric bypass surgery somebody had told me and so he lost a ton of weight so i sent him another email and i said i wonder what you look like now that you're skinny have you did you forget about me and you know i just got like i was really mad irate yeah Yeah, i was like i i felt abandoned and it was so it was Kevin, I, I don't know. It was it was a very um, complicated feeling. It wasn't like a singular thing. Was it suddenly from someone being interested in you to then what we would call today as 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 ghosting or absolutely? And they're not responding, and you're trying to get a response, and you're like, wait a minute, we have a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. When he didn't, like, I, I, I just, I, I got mad. I was, I felt deceived. I felt, I felt betrayed. I felt um, abandoned. Of course, I felt, like, you know, of and course. then I felt like heartbroken because this person who I thought cared about me and invested all of this time and secrecy into me, <laughs> the secrecy, like that, to me, that felt like an investment. Like we couldn't talk about who we were. Now, were you what was happening in your life that you were looking for this kind of uh, attention or, or involvement? Was there something somewhere else that you were unhappy about or, or lacking or, or not getting a, a attention at home or something? In my, in, you mean when it was all happening? In the, 
Um, yeah. Uh, tough question, Kevin. Home life wasn't bad. Home life wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. pretended a lot at home that everything was okay, and it wasn't. And I think this seemed like something, this kind of attention felt uh, good because it was just for me, and I didn't have to share it with anyone. And that felt mm-hmm. kind of safe, even how scary yeah. it was. Yeah. And and I think, you know, I I think he could see that. I think he saw that I, I had needs that were not getting met. There's this confusion that can happen in in children that if they're not getting the attention from an, an elder or from a parent, that they will seek it elsewhere and that it uh, attention and kindness can get confused if it becomes sexual. And we don't realize, you know, at that young age, what's happening and where, where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that my first sexual experience was him... Um, that also was highly confusing to me. I was asking these questions because I know for me, there's some parallels in, in my life and uh, where I wasn't getting attention from my dad. I got plenty from my mom. We were so close. I'm a mama's boy, but I wasn't getting it from my dad. So I know t- <laughs> to, to this day, I have I have daddy issues from that, but now I'm aware enough to acknowledge them and, and work through them. But I know that I went at a very young age and I was seeking mature men to have a relationship with. And it it got confused because they also gave me money and gifts. And so I followed that into, you know, being a male, male hustler. It was very confusing and Anyways, this is about you, not about me. But I just wanted to show I completely identify and understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and I mean, I think that there's definitely some of that going on. I mean, the attention from an older male figure was definitely welcome mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. scary. Go ahead. Now that it's over, how do you then look at it and realize what it is? How long does that take and what's that process like? It took a while. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot happened, like it, in those first five years or so of my 20s, like, I, you know, I, I graduated college. I mm. went back to school to become a nurse. I got kicked mm. out. Like, And during all of that period, I was, my drinking and drug use was ramping up. I, I became a heavy drinker. And Do you think um, that it was... Primarily this, maybe amongst other things that drove you to to drinking and using drugs? Yeah, I think this is one of those uh, mm. core... Mm. I, I, I'm not always crazy about the term core wound, but mm-hmm. this is one of those core wounds that that I was trying to fill or heal. Because there's, a, I imagine, a, a deep sadness, and on top of that, a deep rage. And then who, how can you deal with that at, at, at such, such a young age, even in our 20s? I see that you're kids, you're still kids, you're just stepping out into the world. But, you know, where do you turn? How do you deal with that? I mean, some people get in trouble and start breaking the law. Some people start beating people up. Some people start drinking and using drugs, you know, to suppress that or numb numb themselves. Yeah. And I think I was definitely doing that. And I tried, I tried dating. Mm. I had a couple, um, 
I would say brief relationships that were monumental, but mm. not not over a year by any means. Um, they, there was always, I, I don't know how they necessarily ended, but I know that I was a mess. So I know that I was definitely drinking too much and creating problems where there were no problems. And So you were self-aware. You saw that. Well, no, no. I think looking back, I saw that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. To, like, okay, I'm going back into my 22-year-old self now. Uh, no, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah. So at the time, I was like, everyone leaves mm. me. The narrative became everyone leaves me, and it was it was an interesting switch at one point, much mm. later when I was like, oh fuck, they don't leave me. I'm picking people that are right, really not the right fit. Uh, but like, so the twenties were going on. I had I mm. started. Um, I was, I was a mess. I just was drinking a lot. I partied a lot. I was working jobs mm. I didn't really care for. Uh, I was doing nothing creative. I, I just was kind of a mess. And then I, um, I, I saw the movie Doubt, and yes. it did something to me. Sorry, I'm just going to pause to let our listeners in on this, um, just to explain Doubt. Uh, this was a, a play and a film, and it's about a priest who meets privately with a male student who might or might not be gay, and one of the nuns is suspicious and believes that something unsavory is going on, so she threatens to have him removed or go public with her accusations, and he's forced to transfer, and in the end, nothing is ever proved, so she has doubts as well as the audience, correct? Correct. Okay, all yes. right. So I saw the movie Doubt, and uh, it just... Like it flipped a switch in me, and I, mm. I, you did you recognize yourself and your story and him as, as the priest and you as the boy and yes, uh, yes, and mm. it, a light it, goes off. Yeah, and and it um. and it didn't feel good. <sighs> it was that moment of like, holy fuck, I've been duped this entire time. Mm. You know, because at first I played it off as like, oh, that just happened. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started to realize that didn't just happen. He yeah. was very calculated. He preyed on me. He identified the one who didn't belong in a group. And I know that there are others, I'm sure, that also didn't belong in a group, and therefore he preyed on them. Yeah. And um, This must have just been an electrifying moment because suddenly, you know, your story is painted in a, a big picture on on screen for you and then you can't i imagine you can't turn away or deny it anymore yeah yeah and so i i start to i mean i i drink extremely heavily i try to numb that feeling i try to get it out of my head and i start to have all of these stress and post-traumatic stress dreams and um, I'm having night sweats and I just don't figure out, I can't figure out what's going on. So I start seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. I, I also, during that time, started to, I tried to pursue charges against him. Um, I met with a lawyer and the statute of limitations had just passed. So if you were a minor, it's something like seven years from uh. the time I turned 18 and I had turned 26 or something. And it was... But good for you. I mean, at least you went that route. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people even even don't. So you tried. I mean, you woke up and you tried to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I was still drinking and drugging and, and then I was, so in therapy, you know, I started to talk a lot about this stress and this trauma and the confusing feelings I was having. And, um, also my drinking started to come up as like a, maybe that's not the best coping mechanism. And how often are you doing this? And are you putting yourself and others in danger? And, and the answer to all of that was yes, I am. And I didn't care at the time because it was the only thing that made me not feel something Mm -hmm. for a moment. Mm -hmm. And here's another point in my life I can identify with yours because I, I turned to to drugs too, and I'm a recovering addict, but yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And it it took me um, (laughs) a couple more years of Mm. rage and anger and Mm -hmm. therapy and no, no. And I, I made some poor decisions and, and I started to feel isolated and I started to feel alone, you know? And, uh, and then I, like, so not only did the movie doubt trigger that set of feelings, it also led me to like that first domino towards recovery, both emotionally and, um, physically from some, from alcohol and drugs. And it took a while, but, um, it's not an easy or quick process. I, I, I still mm-hmm. feel all of those feelings today. It's just I can I can handle them more. I don't know if you mm-hmm. ever become mm-hmm. healed from that kind of betrayal. Um, you can work on it, but that yeah. that is always there. You can never take away what is what has happened in our in our right. lives, but you can deal with yeah, it. Yeah, I can definitely deal with it now. And I don't break down crying every time I talk about it, which I used to. Well, look, I mean, you're able to go on a podcast and talk about it. So uh, you've come a very long way in, in, in your journey. Yeah. And I mean, I think that uh, that um, experience really did kind of color my my relationships and, and my attempt at finding people to date. Um, hmm. I mean, I'm kind of a notorious bachelor and... Mm-hmm, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's a mistake. I think it's, in a way, a protection for myself. And I'm, I'm still like it, it's still uh, one of those things that mm-hmm, I am mm-hmm. unpacking. It's like not. A, I know that I don't have to live that core relationship that I I feel so informed by. But um, right. it's an interesting and yeah. kind of annoying yeah. thing that just follows you. You've done a lot of work, but maybe there's a little more work to do. Or there's always work to do. I know. I know. And when you think you work through. It's like it just creeps back up and it's like it's always just there. But now, I mean, you got to a place where uh, six years ago you wrote about it creatively. Yeah. Uh, Talk about that. Yeah. Why did I write that at that time? I don't remember. I think I had just started graduate school and I needed an outlet for like I needed a creative Mm -hmm. outlet. And I also needed to like share this Mm -hmm. story. And it became I think I had enough distance from the event that I was finally able to not weep while writing it. Um, and so I wrote it. it to, I, I remember it, I wrote it over the course of about a week and I kept coming back to it and I kept finessing it. And, you know, I read it now and I'm like, there are still plenty of things I'd change. Like we always want to change our own yeah, writing, yeah. but it made it, I, I, I thought, why don't I share this story? Because it might help somebody. Good for you. It might actually ring true with another young person who's out in the world experiencing this and be like, Oh shit, I'm in something bad. Or I see that teacher and 
they kind of are creeping me out or, you know, like, who knows? I did read it and uh, it is so raw and, and so powerful and so honest. So I saw the response to it, which was amazing. All the comments, people were supportive and loving. People who during school looked up to you as, as a role model. Some people mentioned that they had a similar experience. So it brought so much that was positive out of other people. Just your act of not just journaling privately, but creatively writing this publicly. Yeah, I, I was um, a little blown away by the response. It was overwhelming and also validating. Like it, it felt, it did feel good to have people see me because, you know, it's the, the people who, I, I haven't read the comments since that year so thanks for the reminder i like people who said they looked up to me or uh that's really kind of sweet and um interesting because we we always have from inside ourselves a picture of who we are but it's not necessarily in line with other people's picture and experience yeah i thought i was alone you know like i thought i was the loner who just kind of floated so i mean look at this i mean the the courage and the faith and the hope the forgiveness, determination, the, the self-reflection. I mean, how much it took to pull yourself out of this and move forward and, and become a, a healthier and, and fuller, uh, fully formed adult. Yeah, 23 years later. Like, I'm still talking about this formative experience I had. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting to me that those things that happen in your mm. youth are just so defining of your life of course because we're so young and so impressionable and it's it's our first these are our first experiences of the world and and, and people and they do shape us yeah. they do influence who yeah. we are and now today though where are you at because i see someone who's kind and giving and creative and artistic and you you write and you direct and you produce and you act and you have a a career you have a full-time job you have a, a, a beautiful new home that's what people see <laughs> and, uh, I, I say that in jest and i also i kind of mean it like yes i do all of those things and i'm really mm -hmm. grateful to be able to do all of those things and be all of those things um i also struggle with depression and anxiety and recently i i decided that i i should go back on my medication uh -huh, for uh -huh. my psychiatric medication. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. I, there, there was just this uh, feeling that started to be overwhelming. And it was that like lethargy and the inability to get started in the day and to not feel good until 7 p.m. and all of those things. And, and uh -huh. I was no longer feeling creative. And it was a, it was a chore to create anything. So the reason I haven't finished the project I'm working on is because it became too much. I was overwhelmed and I couldn't keep up. And well, you're wearing four hats. <laughs> I, I am. I am. <laughs> so yeah. Do you find that these events have influenced what roles you took on and what projects you wanted to be a part of? Yeah. What's interesting is that I think in many ways I wanted to be an actor because it meant I didn't have to be me. I completely understand where you're coming from. My specifics, my circumstances are, are different. Yeah. I, I had no interest in mining my own caves, so I wanted to mine somebody else's, you know? And um, so, yeah, it, it did lead me down a journey of 
I want to be anything that doesn't look anything like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I, um, and I think that's also my where my writing became such an outlet for the real mm-hmm. me. Sure. Um, and now I'm starting to merge those two worlds with my new project, and, and it's there's me in there, but there's also like different versions that aren't necessarily me, but there are some actual threads in there that are definitely what I'm experiencing. And it's fantastic. I've seen a few episodes. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am going to continue with it. There's no, there's no question that I will continue. It's just, and, and soon I'm jumping back on that train soon. Everything in its own time. Good for you. Is there anything that you want to share about that I may have not asked about that is important to the story or to your journey? Um, I think that, like I, I want to just briefly touch on the fact that this person who manipulated me and did all of those things, I used to hate him. And I don't like using the word hate, mm-hmm. um, but I used to. And I don't even know if I forgive him, um, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely know that he's not well. And I, as 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 much as I, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't wish him ill. and. I have kind of a great compassion for him because he is the way he is because something happened to mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. and he's possibly lacking some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so rather than like cast mm-hmm. him as just a straight up villain with no dimension, I, I do think that um, there's something to it. And I'm not saying I defend you know sexual predators and he's damaged. Yeah. This in a way actually releases you. You know, people may not agree with it, but it's it's true. Sometimes you you have to, you know, forgive or find a way just to end the the hate or or the rage because they say it's you know taking poison and instead of putting it in an arrow and shooting it at your enemy, you drink it yourself, and it does a lot of damage. Did you want to? hurt this person ever? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I thought about all the ways that I could get back at him, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. including killing him. And, and, you know, like that, those were like the morbid thoughts going through my head. And then when my, and when my family found out, like they wanted to kill him too. And then I had to inter- intervene and be like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not what we're doing here. How did your family find out? At what point? What happened? Oh, I, I could have been better about this. Uh, they found out after I wrote the piece, and then I had to be like, oh, by the way, I wrote this piece, and it's going to start circulating. Um, oh. And I, Because I, when I wrote it, I didn't think that it would anyone would read it. And then everyone in my hometown read it. And passed it around and shared it, and it got back. And then, mm. yeah. And then, my I mean, then I, I shared the link mm. with my parents because I was like, I don't want you to have to find mm. it. So I I shared it with them, and they were just devastated. Sure. They, in their words, that they couldn't protect me, that they, mm. and it wasn't their fault, and it wasn't, um, I, it, it was a different time, and I couldn't talk about my experience because it was with another man. Thank God they didn't blame you. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, cast you aside or... Right. And I think because I wrote it when I was, what, 35 or so, like, we had already processed the fact that I was a flaming homosexual. 
<laughs> so, so that wasn't the piece. It, it was uh, it was the fact that I, I an inappropriate sexual relationship with an older teacher. How could someone in your position that you you were in? How could they watch out for signs of someone who's a predator? Or how can they safely extract themselves or tell somebody? Is there anything you would suggest? I, I don't know if I have like the greatest advice or anything about that. I'm not a you know a professional. What he did was something called grooming me. He was he was paying special attention to me and then pulling away when at certain points so that I wanted more. If any kind of person of authority in your life is is doing that kind of behavior and mm-hmm. telling you that they see mm-hmm. you differently than other people, and they're not necessarily all predators, but but you have to just be a little more curious about their intentions. If someone is in this situation, how might people who are close to them, either uh, family or friends or uh, other authority figures, are there signs they would know that something something's going on? The fact that I would go to his classroom in the morning before school um, and I wasn't in, a, in the choir, <laughs> like, I mean, it's like watching the patterns, but... Is there a way that, that your behavior changed that people thought, what's going on with Nate? No, because the thing is, like, I was such an independent person and I floated between groups. So nobody really knew my whereabouts and it didn't make sense for anyone to know my schedule, including my parents. I drove to school. I took care of myself. I got myself home. Did people know that you were visiting his office privately? No, it's just like, I, I don't know if there's any way for... Outsiders to identify right. because these people are very uh, calculated yeah. and they identify yeah. a very good target, typically, who is usually kind of a loner. And I mean, and I say usually you know, thinking I know the facts, that might not always be true. If you are that person who is being targeted, like it's okay to not participate and it's okay to tell somebody else who you do trust. Um, no matter what the secret mm-hmm. is, that person mm-hmm. cannot lord it over you and can't hold mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. We see, we read, we hear about so much of of this going on with authority figures and and men. I mean, it's women too, but but men. And it it could be school, detention centers, the church, Boy Scouts we've heard all about, uh, the military, just goes on and on. So have to be careful everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your image. I applaud you for coming through it uh, with courage and and self-awareness and and everything else. It takes so much. So congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Frankly Kevin, spending some time with myself and my very special guest, Nathan Tylutki. If you'd like to find out more about Nathan or some of the topics we discussed during this episode, you can find links on this episode's page at the FranklyKev.com website. You can also let us know your thoughts about the episode, write a review, or even ask a question. And if you'd like to hear more episodes, you can help independent artists like myself bring you the content you want to hear by going to the donate page at FranklyKev.com. Every dollar counts, and your donation is greatly appreciated. If you have a story that you'd like to share that you feel others may benefit from hearing and want to be a guest on the show, you can go to the contact page at franklykev.com, or you can email us directly at kev at franklykev.com. 
Thanks again for joining us. And remember, live simply, dream big, be kind, love hard, and laugh often. It may not be original, but it is true. You take care until next time.